This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're, 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 you're listening to the podcast for all of the news, notes, and breakdowns for your Ohio State Buckeyes. This is Sons of the Shoe with Nick Wilson and Spencer German. The Shoe is back. Nick Wilson, Spencer German, at your leisure here. Uh, we got a big show for you today. A uh, bit of panic in college football. Jim Harbaugh moves on officially. Comments on that. Uh, Dan Lanning continues to uh, speak loudly and carry some modicum of a stick there uh, as Oregon enters the Big Ten. Uh, But as always, we are a new podcast. We will perpetually be a new podcast. Please make sure to follow the show wherever you get your podcast. Apple, Spotify, the free Odyssey app, of course, 923thefan.com. And if you're watching us on 923thefan's YouTube channel, please make sure to subscribe. And always leave your comments in the message. We love seeing your comments. Um, Radu always mentions in there. We got, uh, I think, Jim's in there. Uh, Doug's in there. Uh, Pepe's in there. We got a lot of people in the mentions. Love to see you guys. Spencer, how you doing, bud? Can't complain. Um, happy to be back. I know it's a little Batman and Robin situation here in the words of Jim Harbaugh, you and me. So always happy to be, be on this with you. Well, I need to know what the Batman Robin situation is. You didn't. You you didn't hear. Oh, like oh, who's no, no. who? You're oh, saying I who's know. who? I know. I know what Jim said because if you're <laughs> you're referencing Jim Harbaugh saying he wants the relationship with the Chargers GM to be um, Batman like and Batman Robin. and Robin, which I think is probably he needs to think more about what that dynamic is. I think we're <laughs> like I think we're like Batman and also Batman. Like I, I think <laughs> you fair. need to give yourself more credit because in this fun- case. I thought you were referring to yourself as Robin. You are so much more than Robin. Well, I, the way Jim sort of mathed it out was during the season, I think he's Batman and uh, Ortiz is his is, is Robin. And then they sort of flip roles in the all season is the way that he worded it. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Jim's really cool with being <laughs> uh, with being Robin at any point. He seems he, like a guy that likes to be. Um, the guy riding in the sidecar, not driving the cool motorcycle. I, I know we're going to talk about some of his comments a little bit later, but in, in relation to that comment specifically, it was interesting because he made a point, like he was kind of talking and then like had this side thought where he was like about the hiring of the GM process and who's going to have control of things. And he like threw in like, not that I had any say, he was like, not that I had any control in, in who was being hired as GM like or that I was part of the process. Like he made it sound like it was it had nothing to do with him. 
it was all the the powers that be and the Spanos family, and he just was along for the ride, which I thought was kind of funny. You gotta love it, and I will. I do think Jim Harbaugh is going to be the greatest friend the NFL media ever had because that guy can't stop making headlines when he opens his mouth, and that is really the antithesis of a lot of NFL coaches. They love. They love. I mean, the NFL loves hiring guys who say nary a damn thing. So I will have more on Harbaugh there, but we also heard from Ohio State head coach uh, Ryan Day this week and his first comments on the hiring of Bill O'Brien. And, you know, I I think something that, one, I want to get to the the thing that I do think is true that he said, because everything else I think is kind of negotiable about why they hired uh, Bill O'Brien. But, you know, in terms of, him giving over play calling duties to Bill O'Brien, one of the things he made sure to say in a radio appearance here in Cleveland was, you know, I wasn't just going to do that for anyone. And I think to me, you know, if Ohio State fans, listen, you never know if these hires are going to work out because there's so many things that go into them. And this is a pivotal year for Ryan Day. So working out, I mean, you could win 12 games and still get fired. Like that, that's the kind of pressure that's on Ohio State. But when he said, you know, I wasn't just going to do, I wasn't going to hand off play calling to just anyone. I think that does kind of reinforce that Ryan Day feels like he got a big game. Um, he, you know, he caught a, a big game when he, when he reeled in Bill O'Brien and that, you know, if it was Liam Cohen or Jason Candle or a guy who didn't have expect, uh, experience at this exi- this specific level with this specific kind of pressure, and that's the thing we always sleep on with these coordinator hires, is the kind of pressure at Ohio State is different than at Kentucky. It's different than if you're the head coach at Toledo. I, I, I think that was really telling him saying, you know, I mean, it had to be the right person if I was going to hand off play calling duties. Yeah, I think that, um, and I, and I think his 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 point is sound. Like, it, if if it's kind of along the same lines that we talk about with the Browns, where Kevin Stefanski, I guess, is mulling over the same decision with the new OC that they brought in, and it's just kind of you trust yourself until you kind of feel like okay, it's time, and that you you're only going to hand it off to the right person. I, I think, like for 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 Ryan Day's sake, I think it's good that he's kind of going about it this way though where he's reassessing things and saying how can we get better how can i get better how can i sort of take myself out of being the the primary play caller and be able to focus on other things throughout the game um and and i think that just speaks to how this this offseason in general has played out where you've had just decision after decision after decision that seems like ohio state is truly going all in and trying to achieve the things that they've fallen short of in, the, in recent years. And I don't know how you can't have any perspective other than, okay, Ryan Day is really thinking things through here soundly. I understand there's going to be people who hate Ryan Day, and we've talked about this a bunch already. There's going to be people who at every turn just try to disparage any decision that he makes. And we saw it with the Bill O'Brien decision. As soon as that news came out, I thought it was a great decision. I thought it was a great move. And I was shocked to see the number of people – Yes, it's social media, which is not always the best gauge of how everybody's kind of feeling about things. But there were so many people on social media platforms who were saying, I can't believe they picked this guy. Like, what has he done? He's never won a championship. He's never won a Super Bowl. And all his stints in college in the NFL, like, what, what's what's up with this guy? But I think it, 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 to me, just speaks to Ryan Day's assessing everything and trying to go about this the right way. I, I The only thing, the other thing I'm surprised, 
I don't know that a lot of people picked up those comments necessarily, but it almost. I don't want to say it sounds like this, but I know people are going to take it this way that him saying he was only going to do it for the right person. I, there's probably somebody out there who uh, thinks that that's somewhat of a slight towards Brian Hartline. Like, Oh, he's not the right person, but Bill O'Brien's the right person. But don't we protect our own at Ohio state? And I, I, again, just want to warn people. I'm assuming that Brian Hartline was sort of in the conversation on this and he understood what was happening and Brian Hartline has said before he loves Ohio State. Maybe at some point he leaves to take a head coaching job and kind of get his feet wet with that, or at least an OC job somewhere else. I, I think that the I, I would imagine, unless the the powers that beat Ohio State are really stupid, I would imagine that they are trying to progress Brian Hartline into being eventually offensive coordinator here and and be able to maybe take over the program at some point. I, I think they're going to try everything they can to keep him here. So I would imagine that he understood what was happening here with the Bill O'Brien hire. And he's not like, maybe he's a little bit slighted by it because there's always ego in this, in this, in that world. But I I think he at least can find salt. Like I, we haven't heard anything about him being like upset with the organization or thinking that he needs to get out of there, that he's, he, his opportunity is now over. So I don't know. I, I don't look at it that way, but I'm sure there's some people who will. Yeah. I, I think the Brian Hartline thing has become, uh, a panacea or, or like almost a tell actually that you just don't like Brian day guys. If, if Brian Hartline had a problem with this, Brian Hartline would have left like Brian Hartline doesn't need the money. Brian Hartline had a pretty successful, almost decade long career where like he's doing this because he loves Ohio state. And if, if, you know, Brian Hartline saw this coming and by the way, to what you said, there's no way that you do this without talking to your best recruiter and a guy who has been, who has brought in and, and kind of reinstalled that pipeline of just ridiculous wide receiver talent in Columbus. But like Brian Hartline could have been a head coach at Cincinnati two years ago. All right. There's plenty of jobs that Brian Hartline could have had. If he simply said, I would like to leave Ohio state like Luke fickle could have left Ohio state for a decade before he got the Cincinnati job. He could have been the Cincinnati coach probably a decade ago if he wanted to. But I, I get the sense that Brian's pretty happy in Columbus. He's happy being a Buckeye again. And so I think what, what's interesting about the, the Bill O'Brien comments by Ryan Day is like you look at it and, you know, the, there's one part that I think Ryan was telling a half-truth. Because Ryan talked about why the need to bring in a offensive coordinator, a you know, quarterbacks coach, a really a a somebody to run the offense. And he talked about the the changes in college football and how the priorities of a head coach have changed. I do think that is part of this. So I think it's more of a half truth than a mistruth or or a lie. Let's also be honest. Like the other half of this is that people thought you were maybe spread too thin and your in-game decisions, like we talked about Ryan not having a play-calling personality, and I think it just got to a point where it was a way to buy you more time and to, to just change. Like, listen, when you don't meet expectations, and as high as they are, as insane as they might be, the expectation is beat Michigan, uh, go to the playoffs, and have a chance to win a national championship. And you've not consistently done that the last three years the best thing you can do is keep trying to change in increments and 
Like, yes, this is a big change, but it's one side of the ball he's changing. You know, previously he changed the defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, now they're going to divvy up the special teams coordinator across a couple different people. But, like, this was the next logical thing to do of, well, I was wrong on a quarterback this cycle. Well, the offense is kind of what let us down. Well, let's go ahead and do – let's bring in another voice. Let's bring in somebody from the outside so people see that I'm willing to change. I think it was equal parts. Well, college football's changed, and I think it's equal parts that Ryan Day realized him as the play caller, him as the OC, put himself in harm's way and and probably wasn't doing himself any favors and that giving the optics of I'm going to be the CEO coach is probably a little more manageable than I'm going to be the do-it-all coach. You know what else is funny about this is this is almost like a next-level decision. Like, this is the stuff you talk about NFL coaches doing, right? Mm -hmm. You're an offensive coach. You get a job. Um, and are you going to give a play call? Or who's going to call the plays? And it's the same thing if you're the defensive coach. Sometimes the defensive coaches don't call the defense. Sometimes they give it up to somebody else, and they focus on some of the big overarching things on game day. So – this is that type of move. And what, what I find funny is, well, it, it's it, I think it bears the question, like what does this mean for Ryan Day in terms of going to the NFL again? Because there's every year, every year we get the reports and things that he has his eyes at some point getting back to the NFL. We know that's where his background was based before he hooked up with Urban Meyer um, during, during, during Meyer's tenure to come be the offensive coordinator um, or the, the quarterback's coach, then the offensive coordinator, all that. But um, so I, I'm curious, like what this means for him, like big picture, if he if this is almost him sort of conceding, like if I'm going to make it at the next level, I also I have to try to show that I can do this here and I have to take a step back and be OK with that. And so he's kind of changing not only for the betterment of Ohio State, I think this upcoming year, but also for this idea that like maybe he's trying to find that path out of college football at some point. And so this is a a a. Um, a, a positive thing in terms of him molding and changing and evolving for the the betterment of the game and for just that next level job that could come his way but i also think what's funny about that is envisioning if that were to happen like say ohio state goes out this year ryan day in this i want to say reduced role but the the role where he takes a step back from play calling gives that up he's willing to concede that and he's more the ceo he goes out they beat michigan all right, box check. They go out, they win a national championship. Box number two check. And then he ends up he ends up being a hot candidate next year for an NFL coaching job and he leaves. What's the reaction going to be from Ohio State fans? Because it's going to be hilarious to me if we go from this year, everybody and their mother being like, get this guy out of here, he can't coach. But then he does all the things that people have asked him to do. He's getting criticized every step of the way. Like, well, this is another reason why he's not a good coach. Uh, he can't call the plays because he's not good at it. Why is he hiring Bill O'Brien? He's clearly panicking. That's why he's bringing in all these players. But then a year from now, I feel like the conversation, if he really was going to become an NFL coach because he's showing that he can be uh, malleable in that way. Um, I Ohio State fans, I feel like the reaction will 100% be, well, why is he leaving? What are we going to do now? Oh, no, who's going to be our coach? Like the freak out, the spin to freaking out will be absolutely hilarious. 
in, in a year from now if that were to happen. So, I mean, I think it's like Michigan three years ago, if Harbaugh had gone back to the NFL, there would have been people who breathed a sigh of relief because Michigan hadn't yeah. broken through yet. Um, and then the last two years, they obviously did. They were in the playoffs and this year went in the Big Ten and the last three years beating Ohio State. So, like, I mean, I think it's, I think your point is valid. What I would also say is, I think sometimes we go too hard in, well, does this mean he wants to go back to the NFL? I think sometimes it's guys just want safety. Guys just want security. And at Ohio State right now, I I don't know that Ryan Day feels all that safe and secure. And and that's logical, by the way. Like, he, yeah, yeah, you lost to Michigan three straight years. You haven't won a national title. You haven't won a playoff game since uh, the COVID year. So I think some of this just makes sense. Like, and I, a great job can be the greatest job you ever had. A great job when you're failing to meet expectations can be a noose around your neck. And I think that's a lot about Ryan Day trying to make this job back to the greatest job, back, back to what it was the first couple of years where all anybody did was praise Ryan Day. I think that's kind of where we are. All right, guys, uh, what are your thoughts on Ryan Day's comments on Bill O'Brien as the hire, saying he wouldn't have done it for just about anyone, praising Bill O'Brien's um, experience, 31 years in football, and, and also talking about the changing landscape of college football? Leave all those in the uh, in our mentions there, either at Nick Wilson says, at Spencito underscore on X, or – uh, on the 92.3 The Fan YouTube page. When we come back, panic in college football. Is the sky falling? But first, uh, a word from our sponsors. You know, Spencer, the uh, the comments we were just having and the, the the conversation we just had at the end of that last segment about Ryan Day, you know, would Ryan Day want to go back to, to the NFL? That, that kind of has a different meaning this week because, and it started earlier this week, Boston College uh, head coach Jeff Halfley, who, by the way, I used to, I think used to be in Ohio State, um, assistant coach or GA or something like that. I vaguely remember that. He was also a Browns uh, former assistant coach. Jeff Halfley left being the Boston College head coach to be the defensive coordinator. He was the co-defensive coordinator in 2019, and that was before he he got the, the, the BC job. See, I vaguely remembered it. (laughs) <laughs> All right, look at that. My memory isn't total crap, but he left to be the defensive coordinator in Green Bay, and that opened up a whole conversation because Jeff Halfley pretty much told everybody around him and anybody that talked with him in the media that the the changing tides in college football are what drove him away from college football. And you add to it, Chip Kelly, uh, there was a report last night, Chip Kelly, uh, UCLA head coach, has uh, interviewed twice to be the OC in um, o- or in Las Vegas. Uh, that job went to uh, a complete, I mean, just uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Um, I have no <laughs> idea what that was about. But he also, um, apparently Chip Kelly is also one of the finalists for the Washington uh, Commanders offensive coordinator job. And so it kind of opened up this panic conversation. And, you know, Kirk Herbstreet, Ohio State guy, I mean, just renowned college football analyst, now doing NFL stuff as well on Thursday Night Football. 
you know, he responded to a, a friend of the show, Pete Futex, tweet about the NFL as the NFL in response to people panicking and comparing college football to the NFL and all this. And and I think Kirk used this as kind of a clarion call, as as has happened a lot here about the state of college football. Here's what he had to say. And just to kind of surmise it here, he it's basically hinting to that this is a trend that's going to continue until leadership steps up in college football, whether it's dealing directly with NIL transfer portal, whether it's directly pay for play, revenue sharing. And then the last line that I think is just really interesting is the sport is spiraling out of control as we know it. And many of these coaches are not sticking around and waiting, just a new reality for the sport. And I'm a little bit more passionate about this than I think most people are. I don't like panicky emotional responses by people of leadership. Um, I understand we all have urges to panic. I'm an emotional guy. I really am. And, and every day is some balance of me fighting my emotions to clear my head and make the right decision. But one, there is no evidence that college football is falling apart. All the evidence, whether it's ratings, whether it's local ratings for yeah. you know games during the regular season, whether it's national ratings, ratings for the college football playoff show, um, every bit of evidence suggests that the game is in fact growing. And whether that's the the playoffs, whether that's just the the visibility of TV, whether that is intrigue by transfer portal and NIL and all these different things that are national stories. So I guess I would start by saying I, I respect Kurt, uh, Kirk, Kirk's opinion. He's in it. He lives it. Um, but I also think he might be too close to it. I don't think college football is dying. I think college football is evolving at a, yeah. at a warp speed. And I think people in college aren't used to this kind of change. And so it looks different. It feels different. And, and they're, they're making what I would say are bad comparisons or panicky statements with some truth to it, right? Some the, There's a huge need for leadership in college football. There has been for 20 years. So the idea that just because the NIL and transfer portal have come along and just because coaches are heading off to the NFL to be, you know, uh, offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators, guys, that's natural. Like when change happens, there are, there are people that are going to shake free because they don't like the new way that things are going. Yeah. But to suggest that this sport is spiraling out of control is wildly insincere. And I think that language is problematic and commonplace in college football. And I think it's easy to talk, but I think it, I think, I think those people are favoring talking instead of putting their power to use. And Kirk is one of those guys. College administrators are some of those guys like Okay, if it's really that bad, put your balls on the line and do something about it. And that's what annoys me is these big, emphatic, emotional statements. And then yeah. nobody's doing anything about it. Why? Because they know if they try to, they're going to be sued and they're going to lose. Yeah, I think you got to, when you think about Kirk's response, you also got to think about like who he's, you know, talking to, hearing from. And it is going to be a lot of the, he's so in tune with, you know, coaches all across the college football landscape and programs across the college football landscape and, you know, hire up people who are having these conversations and talking through it and why people are leaving. So, of course, he's kind of, I don't want to say jaded because he is, a, he is an outlet of information and, and Kirk is obviously a leader of the sport and, and rightfully so. 
But yeah, I think like in some example, or in, in some way, like he's going to be somewhat jaded by those responses and the people. And he, and he, listen, he, in fairness, I did an interview. Um, was it last year? I, whenever. So John Carroll hired um, uh, Brian Polian to be their their new AD, and obviously son of Bill Polian, famous uh, former Bills GM, and he left. You know, I don't know. You know, somewhat of a cushy job in D1 football on LSU staff under Brian Kelly to come back and take a, a, a D3 AD job. And people were like, why is he doing this? Blah, blah, blah. And so I did an interview with him actually on 92 through the fan. And he brought up the exact same thing that we're hearing people like Halfley and others talk about, which is, you know, there's just the landscape has changed. Like this isn't what I signed up for when I got into coaching or this isn't what I signed up for when I got into football. I wanted it to be about the relationships and, you know, growing and building and trying to teach kids and um, be sort of a mentor for them. And it's, it's become, I walk into their house and the kid tells me, Hey, I really like you. I really like coach, but you know, how much can you give me? And, and, and they don't like that. So um, I, I think it's definitely driving people away, but there's, it's not like you're going to drive away everybody. Like there's going to be a phase of coaches and a phase of people who, are open and willing to stick it out and be part of this new era of college football, if you will. You know, there's there's the conversation that right now. I know the the other big one this week was the now Alabama OC Ryan Grubb, who followed Kalen DeBoer to, to Bama. He's now in consideration for the Seahawks job. So that's another one where it's like, oh well, he might just end up going back to Washington that quickly because he has a chance to go to the NFL. But I think a lot of that, like you said, has to just do with it's the NFL. And that's why I think the Ryan Day conversation is super interesting because um, we don't really know his full perspective on the state of college football and if it's bad and if it's not what he signed up for and all these different things. But what's interesting about Ryan Day, like we talked about in that first segment, is that he's an NFL guy anyway. So he is already kind of like he came into the college game under Urban Meyer kind of understanding how that the idea of players getting paid works and that it's more about the money at that level. Like he kind of understood the business part of it. That's now working its way into college football, the fabric of college football. So I don't know that it bothers him necessarily as much as it bothers other people. Now, I don't know. I'm not going to speak for the man, but I do think it's interesting that he kind of already had that perspective. Like he's almost, I don't want to say he's an outsider, but he's almost an outsider who's coming into college football versus a lot of the coaches. Like think about Nick Saban. Nick Saban retires a couple weeks ago. And we're all stunned. But then you hear some things about how the change in landscape of college football played a big role in this. And it makes sense. Nick Saban has been a college football staple for so long. He's been so used to seeing college football some way, a certain way, doing it a certain way. And now it's evolving. And maybe it wasn't for him. But the difference is like Ryan Day came down from the NFL level where he was already kind of used to some of these business practices. And now that's working its way into college football. So he might actually be more equipped for it. Again, I don't know for sure. Maybe he doesn't like the way it's the things that are happening and the way it's becoming either. We'll have to, well, that, that remains to be seen. We'll see. But I, I think it's interesting that you are getting the reactions you're getting. You're getting the stuff from Kirk. And I do respect Kirk's, Kirk's thoughts on it. And he's right. I think until things change and there's this governing body and things are more regulated, I'm sure there will be more coaches that leave. But there's going to be coaches who also want to stay. 
And that's why I do think we've talked about it already uh, throughout other episodes, but that's why I do think like this is an opportunity for a program like Ohio state. If they can get at the forefront of this stuff, they can be sort of ahead of the eight ball and, and almost, I, I don't want to say they'll ever be able to do what Saban did, but they can kind of be that team that's running a dynasty in college football. If they, they stay ahead of the fray. So well, I don't know. It's, I, it's fascinating. So, so real quick, like a head coach leaving for the NFL is not new no. and assistants leaving for the NFL are not new. What feels new, and and listen, I do think these things have happened, just not to the extent they seem to be happening this offseason. We've seen lesser programmed head coaches trying to get back to the NFL, either as a coordinator or as a head coach. So some of this to me is crocodile tears. Like this is happening. Like the coaching shell game has always happened. And I would I one quick note on Ryan Day. Remember, like Ryan Day's entry point to the NFL was Chip Kelly. And that's, I mean, I think he was an assistant in Philly for a year, an assistant in San Francisco. But Ryan Day was, I think, at New Hampshire as an offensive coordinator for like five or six years. So Ryan's seen it on the the that mid-tier of football, and Ryan's seeing it the highest level. I don't fear losing Ryan Day. I, I don't fear losing any of these coaches. Like guys, Nick Saban was seventy two. Well, and, and I'm not talking. Like, like, I'm not. I'm, my my point wasn't that you should fear it. My point was just that like it's going to be interesting to see which coaches are okay with this changing tide of college football and which ones aren't. I don't know well, which box Ryan Day fits into, but I I I'm I'm trying to say I think it might be the the, the former. But I would rather a coach say, you know what, it's not for me. I'd rather yeah. that than what's happening at Clemson. Dabo Sweeney clearly. <laughs> hates this era of football <laughs> and instead of embracing nil instead of embracing he's trying to put um, up a dam to block the portal he's saying i'm not going to do it and yeah. so you've seen clemson go from the powerhouse i mean there you know yes alabama was a powerhouse yes georgia has taken up that mantle until proven otherwise because they're the team that's won the most championships most recently and, and consistently been in the top four but like Clemson had that moment in between those two dynasty where Clemson really was pound for pound in the ACC as dominant as Alabama. That's huge. And rather than maintain that level, Dabo has just said, yeah, I'm not going to do the portal. Yeah. And I makes me uncomfortable. Does that yes. make you fireable? And I, th- I mean, I think it does too. I'm just asking. Cause I like, it's why Dabo didn't get the Alabama job. Yeah. Well, that's why everybody... fans were fans were chanting anyone anyone but Dabo near the Nick Saban statue. After well, but left. like, well, I think some of that is he's a bit of a goober, anyways. Yeah, and I, yeah. I Dabo's a bit of a lightning rod in college athletics. But like the same resume, meaning the same down years, a couple of years in a row. I don't, I don't think that's why Dabo didn't get hired in Alabama. I think it's a hundred percent the guy's failure to adapt. So, yeah. There's one other thing that bugs me about this and about this, this, because again, everything turns into a clarion call about, oh, what have we reaped? What are we sowing? Oh, the, the demise of college football. Um, you know, when, when Alabama or when, when Lane Kiffin said, oh, Ohio State paid $13 million for their transfer portal. See, this is why we need regulation. This is why we need leadership. When um, a high profile quarterback, literally says, all right, guys, I'm open for business. Who's going to pay me the most money? Oh, this is why we need leadership. This is why we need leadership. Guys, Jeff Halfley was four games below 500 at Boston College. 
it's very likely that Jeff Halfley realized he was stuck at Boston College having success, but probably not a, enough success to get a better job. And that's you that that turns into you get fired real quick with one bad season. It's more likely that Jeff Halfley read the tea leaves and said, yeah, I don't think I can get this program over the hump in this era. I think I just want to go back to the NFL where I like, cause you get yeah. fired in college. Well, it's really hard to then become a head coach of the NFL down the road. Even if you're a great defensive coordinator and chip Kelly, they were flying banners over the UCLA campus saying fire chip Kelly. All right. And that was a real <laughs> conversation. So maybe it's two coaches that are stuck that realize they've had success in the NFL and they can go back there. Like maybe it's just as simple as two guys knowing, reading the tea leaves, knowing their asses were grass. And I, I think it's as likely that that's the case is just, oh, it's an indictment or solely indictment on the state of college football. Well, and Chip Kelly's an, an, an interesting one because to, to that point, because he's been very much at the forefront of embracing this stuff. He We played a quote on this show several weeks ago from him talking about you know, his, his big master plan for college football and how you can fix it. And, you know, these different, like the two big, basically conferences, like you have in the NFL and it's the, it's the East versus the West or whatever. Like he had this whole thing. So I don't think, I don't think him leaving has anything to do with the NIL stuff. I just think to your point, he probably is like, yeah, I'm probably not going to be here much longer. Um, and, and, and like, I also think too, the NIL thing becomes an easy excuse when, you're in a situation like you just mentioned with Halfley, right? Like you're at a program that is is kind of a middle middle of the group, the middle of the pack program, meddling in mediocrity, and your sort of jobs on the line, or you're on the hot seat going into a year, and so you depart or you take a job in the NFL, and the easy cop out is when you don't want to admit like oh, I just wasn't very good at my job. Well, yeah, you know the the changing landscape of college football just it's not for me, so I'm going to go to the NFL now. Which is fun, but it's all, it's funny because like that being the excuse to go to the NFL. Well, dude, you're literally stepping into the originators of the exact thing that you're trying to run away from in college football by going to the NFL. Like that's all all the NFL is is what the is what college football is becoming. So it's kind of funny that the thing that is your excuse is also the thing that you now have to embrace fully at that level. Um, but I do I will say this like to the point of regulation and all this, I do think. Right now, we have seen the early stages of NIL, and I do think that it's allowed there to be some sort of parity. And that's the thing we want in, in sports the most, is it's always about parity. And the, the idea that this NIL era is allowing, and, this, and the transfer portal era, we'll kind of put them, those two things together because the transfer portal is you know, bigger than it's ever been. The idea that those two things are allowing some of these other schools to be maybe be more competitive against the, the top-tier programs – I think is good, but I think right now you're still in that sort of learning development phase. Ohio State's a perfect example of this. They're learning how to navigate this this time frame and this this different sort of situation that they're they're in. And Ohio State's now embraced that. Once the schools that have the resources realize how to utilize them and what to do, like Ohio State's kind of figuring out right now, and I'm sure Georgia kind of has figured out. And if Clemson ever gets on board and they figure it out, like those, it'll just be the exact same thing we had if it's not regulated, where the top programs are just getting all the best recruits. And that's going to happen anyway. I get it. But I'm saying, like, on an extreme level, because they'll have all the money. 
So on some level, I do think there does need to be some sort of reg- uh, regulation, but I don't know if that's just if, if we can just point to that and say end all be all. This is the end of college football, and everyone's going to the fleeing to the NFL because of this thing. Like again, going to the NFL just means that you're basically embracing the exact same thing you're running from. It's just a li- it's just more organized because they've been doing it for a lot longer. Let's just be honest here. It's about control. College yeah. football is yeah. really tough to win in regardless. It's tough to win when you have all this control. It's not a coincidence that Nick Saban at 72 said, I I mean, uh, I, he is a master of control, master of persuasion, master of getting guys up. And if you don't have as much control, you can't utilize those same tools. So I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Nick doesn't like an era where he doesn't have the same control. Urban Meyer, notoriously controlling. Um, and I don't mean that in like a manipulative way. I just mean in, in notorious in terms of my way or the highway. Um, okay, well, yeah, he didn't he, want to come back. He was to kind of manipulative now. when he went to the Jaguars. It sounds I, like he manipulated a booty when he went. Doo, 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 doo. But <laughs> what I will say his is kicker. He, he was he like, was he kicked his kicker. So yeah, I mean that's because that's what you do is you kick a kicker and then you. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Honestly, but, kickers can be kind of weird, crazy dudes. I don't know if I'd be kicking a kicker if I'm being honest. Oh, I'd beat the shit out of a kicker. I have no fear. Listen, <laughs> I've never feared With Justin a Tucker. Uh, uh, he seems a little crazy to me. I don't uh, know. Sebastian Janikowski. I'm not kicking his ass, Seabass. But when it comes to <laughs> a five foot nine hundred and sixty pound kicker, unless we're unless we're practicing my tie, I think I'm going to go ahead and have the advantage <laughs> as I have two hundred pounds on him and about half a foot and probably half a foot of reach. Now I digress. Um, what this really is about is control. Yeah. And and Power. what I what I struggle with when somebody as respected as Kirk Herbstreet throw out the clarion call of you know college football spiraling out of control. One, a lot of these people were in favor of NIL in the first place. A lot of these people, and I can't remember Herbie's exact thoughts on it, a lot of these people were directly in favor of more freedom for players. So we finally get to an era where and it's still not equitable. The amount of money college football programs are are overseeing, it still, I mean, it pales in comparison what players are getting paid in NIL to what is being funneled through college football and and obviously in college basketball as well. But I understand that there's a holistic conversation about how that flow of money disrupts for other sports. I do understand it. But what it really gets at, when coaches say, I don't like this era, what they're saying is, I don't have as much control. I'm more beholden to players. I'm more beholden to, um, you know, a, a football. So go to the GMs. NFL where you're also beholden to players. Well, like they but make no, more no, it's, but it's different. <laughs> players are under contract there. You know, when you have players, that it's more knowable. And but that isn't that essentially you, what's happening here? Like you're no, getting players no, that are kind of under contract. They're under contracts no, with these because these a guy. And, I mean, what was it? Uh, Kale Gundy went into the portal, transferred to a school, and then was already back in the portal. So, like, that is instability, and it is instability yeah. in a well, way that you don't have. But the portal is different than NIL, though. Like the, well, the, the, they're, 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 they're together, but they're separate. But like the, the point portal... is they, they are linked in. And just real yes. quick, I just want to get this yeah, yeah. To, to, to finish this point. Sorry. But I think you're more beholden to boosters. You're more beholden to col- – that's why you hear schools say, we got to bring this in-house. Let's just pay players because we got to bring it in-house because they're now dealing with third-party NIL collectives – which are not always the best faith actors. So 
I, I am totally empathetic to how the game has changed. I'm totally empathetic to the idea that college football needs leadership. They've needed good leadership for 50 years, and the NCAA has not done it. And the lack of leadership has led to what is the wild, wild west. But I really struggle. I really chafe with the idea that the best way to handle all this is to give back power to institutions that have looked the other way because the NCAA is the universities. The NCAA is the ADs. And yeah. they've looked the other way and they've allowed the NCAA to be a meat shield for them. And most of that's fair because the NCAA has had just unfair levels of power. But like, th like this is, this is, you're reaping what you're sowing here. Mm. And it's tough for me as somebody who looks at these kids sacrificing their necks, their knees, their brains, their longevity. You know, I, I, I know people who played college football who have significant brain injuries. I see them struggle with it. All right, if, if you know football players, guys who played at the highest level, the NFL, college football, you see the sacrifice. And guys, in no way, now, guys are getting paid oodles of money, right? You know, millions, potentially for some guys, millions of dollars to go play football somewhere. And even if you make $200 million, is it worth 30 years of your brain not working? Is it worth the possibility of suicide, which some of these guys have, yeah, have yeah. gone there because their brains are damaged or they can't move. I have an uncle who played football in the, the 50s and 60s. The man literally can't move one arm. It just it doesn't work anymore because of nerve damage from playing football. So it's it's a little yeah. tough when we start talking about, well, let's give control to the universities. Like they fucking know what to do with it. Their 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 control is we're gonna siphon the money evenly, and that's not equitable for what the guys. Listen, I want college volleyball to exist. I want um you know mid level women's hoops to exist. As I love the Bowling Green uh, women's basketball program because that was one of the uh, sports that I fell in love with. I want college hockey to exist, another college sport that I fell in love with. I want college kids and, and high school athletes going into college, I want them to have every possible avenue. But to fairness, the, the random swimmer at Iowa, I don't even know if Iowa has a swim, is not worth to Iowa what a great quarterback is. And that guy isn't going to have to worry in 50 years about whether his brain works. So this, yeah. I, I just get really sensitive. And again, I respect Kirk. I really do. I just disagree with him on this. And I disagree using something like two coaches who might be on the path next year to getting fired because of their situations. Good football coaches, by the way. They're good. But Halfley and, and Chip Kelly are good football coaches. They're in bad situations. Bad fiscal situations, bad leadership situations, tough places to win. So I, I can't sound off the college football's dying, spiring out of control when we has a mountain of evidence to the contrary about the actual popularity of the sport while, while then we're going to take away some of this power and redirect it to university who fucked this thing up from the front. I mean, from the very start who could have avoided every single, they could have been logical. They could have put this out, but they were scared bleepless because they held over this power for a hundred years. And then the Ed O'Bannon thing happens and starts to, you know, there's the crack, there's the fissure. Yeah. And so I just, 
I, I'm totally sensitive to the idea of, well, we got to trust those guys because it's worked Can, out so well for college football, college basketball, and college athletics for the last, you know, 20 years before or 50 years before, uh, before uh, I almost said analytics, uh, buzzword, uh, before, um, before NIL and the transfer portal came along. What's funny about you saying, um, you know, the, that you're beholden to boosters, what it, what is an NFL owner than just like a really really rich booster, right? And and that I, again, I'm just kind of saying like going back to my point of like these coaches are leaving the thing that they don't like to basically step into the thing that they 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 don't like. But it, it's it's funny, um, and I get like the NFL is more organized, but to me, like owners are just massive boosters who own a team, and that that's kind of what you see in college football. It's just there's multiple people who are want say and, and a seat at the table, and they're throwing money around. But I, I listen. I, it, it's it's not an easy solution. I don't know what this governing body or regulation fully looks like. Um, I I'm sympathetic to the fact that to, to your point, having worked in college athletics for a number of years, they, that you can't have other programs and there's no other sports a lot of times without the money that these football programs are bringing in. And so on some level, you have to find a way to still disperse that, or else. You get rid of call. You get rid of other sports as you know it at schools, and you don't want to see that. You don't want to see opportunities taken away from other kids because just because uh, women's golf isn't a money making sport doesn't mean that that kid shouldn't or that person shouldn't have an opportunity to participate in that at the college level and get better and grow the game and, and participate in, in other sports that aren't your your highest revenue generating sports. Um, so I don't know what the the answer is. Um, I think NIL was supposed to kind of be the solution to that because it allows you to, to make money off of, again, your name, image, and likeness where it's not the schools paying the bill. And I do think like, yeah, to give the power just back to the schools, I don't know that they're just going to like, I, I get it. The, the, the They're going to do what I just laid out. They're going to sort of disperse it amongst everybody. And that's for the state of their, their athletic department and the health of that and making sure they can still fund everything. Um, but I don't know how you like those two things are going to be so difficult to solve with each other. Like how much money do you give to the players that are, that's coming in versus how much money goes to the rest of the athletic department. It's, it's not an easy thing to fix, but I do think at some point, like, and here's the other thing, Nick, all these people talking about how the state of college football is why they're leaving and it's mass chaos and, and whatever the wordage that, that Kirk used was, I think he said like, it's, um, what did he say? It's spiraling, it's spiraling out, out of control. control. Yeah. I think part of this is anytime there's massive change like this in sport and anything, there's a feeling it out process. And that goes back to the point I was making on like, there's going to be some coaches that are totally on board with this and they stick around and they realize this era is for them. And there's going to be some like Nick Saban who are like, it's not for me. And that's fine. But that doesn't mean like it's spiraling out of control. I just, I, to me, I just look at it as the sport is still very healthy. And despite what people are saying about it spiraling out of control, because the money's coming in, the ratings are there. And then also, I think it's just kind of like working itself out. Like you're going through a phase of change that is going to require sort of weeding out the people who want to be there and weeding out the people who don't and weeding out the teams that are going to go all in on this new era and weeding out the teams that aren't. Like change is always going to bring these types of decisions for people. And it's not what I signed up for. I mean, people leave jobs because it's not what they signed up for. Like it, it like in, in just everyday life, not even at the college football or the 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 sports level. So I don't know. I it's 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 just kind of par for the course. And I don't know if I'm like sitting here freaking out every day because oh no, 
the sport of college football that I love is dying and going away because Kirk Herbstreit said so. Like, no. All right, guys, we have uh, we'll take your thoughts in the 923 the fan uh, YouTube channel comment section. Also, and Nick Wilson says at Spencer to underscore when we come back one final segment, we're going to split it between um, saying hello to a new coach of the Big Ten and another new coach of the Big Ten, another new team in the Big Ten, putting the stones on the table just a little bit here. But quick, a word from our sponsors. All right, guys, this is where Spencer and I usually do the Michigan panic meter. We assess what is Ohio State's panic. We should call it the college football, the college football panic meter. I, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> after that last point, segment, there's a lot of different panics we can get to, but this week, because neither of our panic has changed, we're going to keep it where they are and we're going to go to what I think is a, a, a big nuts moment from Oregon head coach Dan Lanning. Um, he is quoted as saying he thinks that the Big Ten will need to adjust to Oregon more than Oregon will need to adjust to the Big Ten. And uh, he also took a shot at the ACC and the Big Ten by keeping them out of the elite conversation. Um, I really like Dan Lanning. I think he's a hell of a coach. I think he's young, charismatic. I think he seems to be a, I mean, just a guy who can kind of handle what the job has become, equal parts, yeah. Fundraising, putting them on the, t- you know, like getting people riled up and also doing the actual football work. So I love the guy. I love that he's saying this. I think he is out of his ever loving mind. Like uh, to, to assume that there isn't going to be some sort of a transitional moment for Oregon, Washington, UCLA and, and USC is is funny. I think Oregon is best positioned to step yeah. right in and have real success in the Big Ten. But like to say, I think the Big Ten has to adjust to us. Okay, buddy. That's the <laughs> kind of thing that you're going to hear a lot if you go uh, nine and four this year, as opposed to you being on the you know the fringes of the playoffs or in the playoffs this year. What's funny about it is if that were true then wouldn't the Big Ten be the conference that was folding and it'd be like Ohio State and Michigan and these other programs joining the Pac-12, which is notorious for not having playing any sort of defense whatsoever? That that's To me, like that's the biggest adjustment is these teams are so used to in the Pac-12, just offense, offense, offense. There's been some here there that have had good defenses. I think Oregon's defense last year was pretty good. Washington's defense was obviously very good last year. So, yeah, like there's there's some examples. But that's always the running joke is in the Big 12 and the Pac-12, there's not a ton of great defense played uh, out there. And now they're coming to a conference that I would say almost like the staple of the the Big Ten is this like hard nose, you know, Midwest. We play in cold and bad weather a lot of times, defenses that are out there, which is why Ohio State almost fits, fits the billing more of like what an Oregon team has been in recent years because they've been all about the offense and their defense is kind of taking a step back. Now next year with all the guys coming back, we think the defense is going to be superb, but that's what I think is interesting about it. Like on some level, yes, there's probably some philosophical offensive things that Oregon does that teams are going to struggle with, but I can't wait to see Dan Lanning when he comes out of a dog fight of a game against Iowa and they have to eke out like a, 
24 to uh, I'm giving I'm giving Iowa too much credit if I'm going to let him score 16 points like a like a 21 10 win over Iowa and he's like yeah you know that Iowa defense is just real tough like yeah that's the Big Ten you got to get yourself a defense now well I just I there's a part of me listen I don't assume that any one of those four teams from the Pac-12 are going to struggle I I I do think UCLA is in a rough spot especially if Chip Kelly goes back to the NFL I think Washington's in an interesting spot because you changed over head coaches at maybe the worst possible spot yeah, with Washington. They're going to take a step back, I think, for sure. But, like, USC, I don't know. I mean, it's a really important year for USC, and they've got a lot of talent. They just haven't had results. With Oregon, like, I, there's a part of me that's like, you know, like, oh, I think Ohio State's going to be fine either way. Oh, I think Ohio State, Ohio, no, I'm not worried about Ohio State at all. I think Michigan – is such a perfect Big Ten build with how they can push teams around in the trenches. I think Michigan's, Michigan's going to be fine. I think once you get to the Penn States, I think once you get to the uh, Wisconsin's, I think once you get to that next tier of schools, I think that's where it's fascinating. Because I, like to me, you either need to be on par with the athletes and the the skill level that and the quarterback play that Oregon and USC yeah. and Washington have had, or you need to be the ultimate Big Ten team. And there are a lot of teams trying to go the Big Ten path. Rutgers, obviously, with Greg Schiano. Well, I think resource-wise, um, a lot of these teams have to. Not yeah. all these teams can afford the talent that Oregon and Ohio State are bringing in, so they're like, we're going to do it Michigan's way. But like that's like the 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 rat race in, in the Big Ten for the longest time, even up until the end of the Jim Tressel era, was who can build the most archetype of the, the best archetype of the best Big Ten team. Beefy in the trenches, steady, not spectacular quarterback play, ground and pound, first to 17 wins. And there's a lot of programs in the big 10 still trying to follow that and i think those are the, the the schools that are in for a rude awakening teams that aren't trying to to build their own mold instead it's like all right iowa i gotta beat michigan i gotta get bigger more physical that kind of stuff um i don't know about nebraska because they finally went and actually got a real quarterback but rutgers is another name like i think illinois with bielema like they've been building these programs this one way and now I think there's going to be a bit of culture shock. I think there could be reverse culture shock. Like, I don't think it's going to be the prettiest thing for all four teams. But, like, you know, I just think it's really fascinating. I don't assume anything's going to happen. But I think it's going to be a really fun college football season, specifically in the Big Ten, because I think it is going to be more competitive. And I think the first three or four years those schools are in, I think you're just going to kind of see some blending of those two yeah. styles, where it's just not going to be as simple as, hey, if I build the third best iteration of what a Big Ten team has looked like the last 50 years, I'm then going to be the third best team in the Big Ten. And I think it'll be fascinating to see how the Big Ten reacts to that and how programs react to that. And and inevitably, which style ends up – five years from now, ten years from now, whether Big Ten football ends up looking more like the SEC – or whether it continues to mimic yeah. this, this Big Ten trend that it's been well, on. Well, let's be honest. If if Oregon joining the Big Ten allow or forces Iowa to actually put together a competent offense, then we all win, right? All of us win from that. 
because nobody enjoyed watching Iowa football games, even if it was just for your team. If you were just tuning in to watch your team play Iowa, like Michigan fans had to watch Iowa in the Big Ten championship game a couple years in a row now. Nobody enjoyed those games. They were there's they were a couple terrible. masochists who enjoyed it. There there are a couple <laughs> people who enjoyed it, but they they're like in leather and they have you know collars that say daddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, some of them are called mistress. Like just realize there are people who enjoy it, just not most. People. They're watching that game on their knees while saying, "Yes, ma'am, I'd like another." <laughs> I probably should stop because I will keep going and that probably isn't good for the state of this podcast, but from Dan Lanning comments to an outgoing big 10 uh, coaches comments, Jim Harbaugh uh, was introduced to the LA media yesterday in what was, <laughs> I think he's going to be the greatest gift to, to the NFL media. Cause that dude oh, cannot say, dude think, cannot stop himself from saying things that are billboard material. Well, yeah. Like even listening to the press conference yesterday, like he would start the answer to a question and just go off on this tangent that had nothing to do with what he was talking about. And then he, somebody asked him if he was an LA guy and he went on a tangent about how he's trying to take his RV to an RV park. And before they like really start diving into like the draft and all this stuff and everything. So he's trying to spend like a week down in an RV park and just get himself, you know, one with nature basically for a week before he like really dives into things. I was like, dude, this guy is the gift that keeps on giving. But to your point, uh, he was asked a question about just the state of Michigan as he leaves it behind. And this was his response. Rona is the right man for the job. Nobody else that's the guy, and they got it right, and uh, and things are – see, they're, we're top-rated team right now, top-five team. I, mean, I, I still think of it as one, you know, the Chargers and the Michigan Wolverines, like one team. So in, in, a, in a great place, in a great place. that the, Much like when players, you know, leave the university to go on to the, uh, to the pros, you know, there's a, there's a passing of the baton that takes place uh, – and you see J.J. Lee, but then I see uh, Jaden Denegal, uh, Alex Orji. I mean, next day they're, they're on that, that field. They're throwing with, with receivers, uh, and there's an excitement there. I've been involved in that as a player when, when the quarterback ahead of me left or graduated. And it's the same for, for coaches. I mean, I've been talking to Sharon. He's on – I mean, the guy is on, on fire right now. He's working, recruiting, and coaches like Jesse Minter, I mean, he's a – He's a tremendous coach. We're going through a process right now. Ben Herbert, I can't confirm that he's going to be going to be a Charger. And uh, I love the the passing of the baton was there to Justin Tress. Jay Tress hugged it out and right there in the right there in the blue M, right in the middle of the uh, of the weight room. So uh, in great hands. And um, yeah, always going to always going to be a loyal Wolverine. Sharona. I got to say, if I was in L.A., I would be playing excerpts of his answers and I would find some <laughs> way to like, um, uh, like basically just some like Jeopardy music. I, there'd be, I would find some music to put with it. Start playing like them some, out like at the Oscars. No, just like, just too it, long. like, it's just a storybook. That's what it is. The man is just creating his own mythology as he goes. I think it should be fun. Here's Can my I? one, here's my one point in the Sharon Moore thing. Um, I have no doubt. I actually, I'm hopeful that Sharon can keep Michigan at this level because I think it's more interesting for Ohio State. Um, there's, there's like one game a year right now that's interesting, and it's a Michigan game. Yeah. And so I don't want Michigan going back to just being another Indiana, 
right? Where it's just, all right, how much they're going to beat them by this week. What I would say is I think Michigan's obsession with money and, and paying coaches is pretty embarrassing. You know, they docked Jim Harbaugh three years ago. I, I, I have not gotten over that. I'm not even Jim Harbaugh. But paying Sharon Moore $5.5 million a year when there were coaches in college football, when you were going to pay Jim Harbaugh $11 million a year to stay or somewhere in that range, I actually think it's disrespectful. I think it, I think there's number there's one thing in college football that shows the respect you have or the buy-in you have on your coach. And that one thing is how much do you pay him? $5.5 million a year for Sharon Moore shows you that they're treating him like a first-time coach. That shows you that all well, of this, he's the right guy handing off of the baton. No, they're using this as an opportunity to save money. And I don't think that's the kind of thing that instills confidence in college football. I think it was pretty laughable considering that Sharon Moore was the guy that went three and O down the stretch and stabilized your program and helped you that, that helped you make sure it didn't fall apart. Well, let's be honest here too. It's, it's almost a, We've talked about it. It's different when you're the guy. So Sharon Moore still has a lot to prove in that regard. And so, like, yeah, the money's what the money is, and I get what you're saying. I, I also think, though, too, like, were they really going to pour a bunch of money into a guy who hasn't proven quite that much yet and that in a year from now they could be actually firing the things really go to shit, like, in, 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 in one year? I don't think it will, but, it, you know, like, they, they know that they need, like, an easy out if he's not the guy. I think right now Sharon Moore was the path of least resistance because you were trying to kind of keep the program together. You played so late in the season that a lot of these sort of coaching searches that already sorted themselves out, you weren't going to necessarily get, like, one of the top-notch guys or whatever. So, I don't know. I I, I think it's it's kind of just the situation that they're in right now. And if we're talking about Jerome Moore maybe not being long for that job, I get why they did it that way. I just want to know, can Jim Harbaugh leave? Like, can he really say he dropped a bomb at the end of that? Like, I will always be a loyal Wolverine. Can you say that as you're as you're walking out the door? Like, I feel like you got to give it some room to breathe here before you start going back to the, well, I'm a loyal Wolverine through and through. Like, dude, you just stabbed them all in the back. Not stabbed them in the back. It's not fair. But you just, like, walked out on them. And then it's like, you're, oh, yeah, I'm still loyal to my wife. I, lo- I, I still love her. She's still the love of my life. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, with, this, did, I'm did, with this person now. Did you leave your wife with a national championship ring? Because that's, well, that's I, where you left her with an engagement I, ring and a wedding ring. Yeah, I'm going to leave you with uh, with a $10 million house, oh, $500 so, million. Dollars, so an engage, a, a wedding ring is enough, is enough of a, is enough of a, is um, enough no, to I'm prove just, your loyalty. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I'll try to um, tell that to my wife and see how she takes when it. When you win the first national championship in 25 years, I think you get to say, I'm a loyal Wolverine. I, I listen, I think Jim was loyal. <laughs> I think you're just being a dick. And I thought, like it. I no, enjoy, no, no. you know, I love pettiness. I'm not, I, I think you're th- just, this isn't even me being petty. Bit. I'm just thinking from the perspective of a Michigan fan. Is that really what you want to hear right now? Yes, like yes. I'll always don't, be no, a loyal Wolverine as you're walking out the door. Don't condone like, the Michigan save, panic. Don't condone the that. Michigan panic about losing four assistants. <laughs> like save that, that, that for, save that for like beginning of the season where Michigan, you know, somebody asks you a random off the cuff question about like, Oh, did you watch the Michigan game this weekend? He's like, uh, you know, I'm a loyal Wolverine. I had him on in my office on Saturday as I was getting ready for, for week one. That's when you say that. You don't say it a week after you decided, yeah, I'm out of here. 
See ya. And Michigan fans are left in a panic because they they lost Jim Harbaugh. I think you say it when you drop the mic by winning a national championship, <laughs> probably leaving with a first round quarterback, and and have the program at its highest level since the the last like three or four years of Lloyd Carr. So I I love what you're doing. I love the pettiness. <laughs> But I think you're just being a petty Ohio State fan. All right, guys, uh, make sure to follow the show. Apple, Spotify, 923thefan.com, the free Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to give us a, a subscription on the 923 the Fan YouTube channel. And make sure to leave your comments both on our uh, social handles and on the 923 the Fan YouTube channel. That does it for today. We'll be back next week. Follow Sons of the Shoe. Go Bucks.